The growing calls across the nation to defund the police. To end policing as we know it. Off the charts violence in New York City. 11 people shot in just eight hours on Sunday. This is Sunday. about the police officers, officers who every single day put on that uniform and they run towards danger when we run away from it. Guys, up, giddy up. Welcome to the Fair to Stop podcast channel. Today's show is brought to you by ghostbed.com forward slash Wolfpack and factormeals.com promo code Wolfpack50. Wolfpack50, really good, delicious meals. Uh, you can form those meals to meet any needs that you have, whether you are trying to go cal- calorie conscious or you want to go in high in protein. Factor Meals, it's got like 300 different recipes on the menu. Basically, what you do is you, you join factormeals.com, you pick out your meals for the week. Um, they're prepared by chefs, mailed directly to your door. You want three a week, they'll give you three a week. You want five a week, they'll give you five, seven, whatever. Whatever you want to do, they'll uh, create these menus right to your specifications, and then you open them up. they got a little, they're beautiful packaging, and you've got meals ready to go. You slap them in the microwave, heat them up two minutes, even on a uh, Walmart-style microwave like that they have at every police department or first responder agency across the country. Even two minutes on one of those POSs, We'll get your factor meal fresh and ready to go, and they are delicious. We appreciate you guys tuning into our Friday breakdown, covered by myself and 30-ish year detective, uh, the easy, the steezy, the beautiful, Drew Breezy. Drew, thank you for uh, always being here, always for. You, you always give me uh, too much credit for the detective stuff. Like I, I, I think I spent more time as a detective supervisor than I did as a detective, but I did. A, I spent a fair amount of time as a detective in fairness. So okay. I, I appreciate that. And by the way, what is the plural of chef? Is it chef? Uh, chef-i. Knives? Chef- chef-i. The chefies, chef-i. No, that's antenna. <laughs> uh, very clearly. So we have a very special guest today. Uh, if you remember back um, probably about uh, midsummer, maybe July, early July, we did a three-part series on Daniel Holtzclaw in Oklahoma City, uh, police department, police officer, uh, just a generally good guy, uh, grew up a cop's kid, played football, uh, the whole nine yards. And um, he just wanted to serve his uh, serve the public. He was involved in a traffic stop on his way home one night. Things took a, an immediate 90-degree turn in his life. So with him, uh, with us rather tonight, we have his sister, uh, who is named Jenny Holtzclaw. Is it Jenny or Jennifer? Which do you prefer? You can call me Jenny. Okay, Jenny. Yeah. All right. So I'm Drew, Jenny. It's uh, it's nice to meet you. I'm very, very glad you're here. Um, Thank you for having so we me try on. To take, uh, we, we, what we normally do is uh, we take police cases such as, like, you know, such as this one. And we just kind of thoroughly break it down. You know, Eric's got some time on the street as a as an officer. I got some time, you know, in the law enforcement field also. And and I've got a little bit a bit of an administrative background also. So we just kind of objectively look at police cases because we're not always right, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, we want to make sure that, you know, in the just in the sense of appealing to the first responders that we entertain and inform, we also bridge the gap for the community that we serve because we want them to see that, you know, we do ask tough questions and uh, we do hold officers accountable. This was an egregious case in my opinion, because uh, the wrong officer is being held account- accountable in this. Uh, it, and again, this is my opinion, but 
it's a rare opportunity that we have a family member that we can talk about because one of the themes that we uh, explore on this show is the, the greater mental health of the entire law enforcement family, especially when something like this happens, like when somebody is either wrongfully accused or even if they're just accused of something mm -hmm. like uh, people may not realize or understand what kind of toll it takes on the family. So why I, I'm just going to turn it over to you for, for the time being, just, you know, walk us through. I know that this uh, started in uh, 2014 uh, and just for a frame of reference, we had a, uh, an anniversary the other day of Mike Brown shooting, which was in August mm -hmm. of 2014. This happened two or three months prior to that. So uh, tell us what you remember and what you know. And Jenny, yeah. before you get started, sorry, mm -hmm. Jenny, but before you get started, just know we've done a three-part series on mm -hmm. Daniel Holt's call on the Fair to Stop podcast channel, all under breakdowns. So for those of you uh, who are behind and you want the totality of the case, we did three two-hour segments, that's six hours total on this case. If you have questions, go back to those episodes and those questions, well, this is more of a follow-up to those six, uh, I'm sorry, to that six hours worth of, of podcast content for free right here by the Father's Top Podcast. If you want to uh, support us, you can join our Patreon, get extra content also for $3 a month and then our paid YouTube also. And you can have all these things you can find at FatherStopPodcast.com. So Jenny, knowing that, that we've already covered this in great detail, mm -hmm. you're kind of the follow-on. You're kind of the icing on the cake for this mm -hmm. case for us. Yeah, yeah. So um, Daniel's case happened back in 2014. So gosh, it's been almost nine years now, right? I guess eight years. It's been a lot. It's been a while since it first started, um, and it's um, definitely been an interesting roller coaster, as I would say, um, just because um, when it first when we first found out about it, Daniel obviously called us and let us know what was happening. Um, and during that time, obviously, like you had mentioned, Drew, the climate at that time was uh, very scary in the sense of there was a lot of riots happening um, around that same time frame um, uh, as the Baltimore and then the Ferguson riots um, that were happening uh, during that summer. And so when Daniel had told us about what was happening it was kind of like in the back of our mind, you know, um, about in general, just how that case was. Right. And what was the first thing he told you? How did you um, find out? that he was under investigation, um, or that he had been interrogated. That's what he used as uh, his wording. He had been interrogated um, by sex crimes and there was um, allegations of sexual assault. And that was initially as that first one, Janie Likens, the one. Yeah, that, what was uh, his, like, what was his attitude? What was like, um, when he, did he call you personally? Did he call like the parents? I believe he called my parents first. And then after that he had called me. And like, what was um, his attitude? Was he like scared? Was he kind of like whatever like what was i think his... more shocked in the sense of um confused i think is more like it um and for us it was like wait hold on you know i wanted to know more questions my parents obviously wanted some more questions and um you know we just thought it was kind of like a formality that the um the police the detectives were questioning him um and then daniel thought his name was going to be clear there was nothing that we were too worried about or anything like that so um that was about June timeframe as the investigation kept on proceeding into July and August. Um, that's when we were like, why is this taking so long? Daniel should have been cleared. Um, and at this time, you know, the detectives started searching out for women. And um, by this time they started accumulating more females that would corroborate uh, the story of Daniel supposedly also 
sexual assaulting them. Um, and then at this time, the news hit back, I think it was in August of 2014, when they finally made the, the arrest of Daniel. And so then you had people that uh, wanted to um, jump in on this. And then they came to the police department saying that uh, Daniel also sexually assaulted them when in fact, we, we were able to prove that Daniel never did with those allegations, especially whenever he was placed on administrative leave. We still had people coming forward saying that um, Daniel had sexually assaulted them. And well, so, that, was, that was a question I had. Was he placed on administrative leave like immediately after? Immediately, yeah. Okay. What was your feeling at this point in time? Like what, how you as an individual, what were you, how were you feeling? Before it made the news, I was like, there's nothing to worry about, right? Um, I had asked Daniel several questions. Is there anything we need to be you know, uh, notified by? Like, is there anything that we need to know about? Um, and that was kind of like my always, you know, to him is, is we don't want to be shocked by anything, right? And then as soon as the news hit, obviously that really, um, I would say, put a big shocker on us because we weren't even prepared that it was that you know that they were going to make an arrest to daniel um so we only found out just because it hit the news it was breaking news it was on people's cell phones um you know i had a friend message me and say hey is this your brother and from there i called my parents i remember that day like it was yesterday um just because how um it, it was that much of an impact you know obviously on all of our lives and, it, and from there it forever changed our so, family's dynamic in, in that aspect. Yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt. I, I just, no, there's fine. a couple of details I'm wondering, like, uh, yeah. was there an indictment? Like, was it a grand jury or was there just a warrant that was issued for his arrest? And then how did that go ahead? He already retained, you know, some type of attorney or retained counsel at that point. Did he turn himself in or, you know, did he get a knock on the door and all of a sudden just somebody put handcuffs on him or how did that yeah, so he was actually at the gym and he was leaving the gym. So they must have been following him or something in the sense because they knew exactly where he was. So Dan was at the gym at the time they came and he actually, I think he was leaving the gym. So he was in the parking lot and that's when they had arrested him. Um, and Daniel had retained an attorney after his interrogation, after he did that two hour interrogation with the two detectives. Um, and then from there, I'm trying to like recap everything. Um, and then from there, um, I don't think, I, I don't know if it was, there wasn't a grand jury for, if I remember correctly, as far as, I think they just had uh, the DA said, yes, we're going to go and prosecute him. And I think that that's kind of where um, they had some kind of, I guess, formality for them to be able to arrest him at that point, probable cause or whatever the reason was at that time. And okay. so how, like, how are you like, again, feeling like what were, what were you like, what were you, I know that's a uh, juvenile. Oh yeah. So many different, you, like, how were you yes. feeling? so many different thoughts going through my head like how could they arrest him if, they, if they don't have any evidence and that kind of got the the dialogue going about um learning about how they can actually you know arrest someone and then what were the allegations at this time so i wanted to learn more like what were they able to arrest him on um we were all shocked um it, just because you know my last name was is not common right <laughs> so um a lot of people immediately had reached out and said, Hey, is this your brother? So I was kind of like, I had to like say, yes, I knew about this. Not that it was like a shock, you know, but I knew that this, that Daniel was underneath investigation at this time. Right. And so, um, all of that just, it, I mean, it just basically exploded. So at that time it was very, um, sh all kinds of emotions, stressful, um, worried, um, 
how are we going to get through this? I mean, just all kinds of th um, things at that time. And it's just all those feelings, just so shock. I think, I think shock was probably the best word I could probably say at that time. Geography wise, what was the family structure? I mean, did you all live close to one another? Yeah. So um, my parents lived in Enid, Oklahoma, which is about an hour and a half, two hours north of where Daniel's police, uh, where he lived and then also where that police department was since he worked for Oklahoma City. And then um, I was living out in California at the time. And so, um, you know, I, I heard about it. I heard about it, you know, obviously through friends. Um, so it wasn't on like local news that I saw it come on um, at the time. And so, um and then my sister lives in Norman, which is a suburb of uh, Oklahoma City. So we live pretty close. Um, I always, you know, went back for holidays. Um, and then same thing, you know, we'd always meet up with um, with my family. During college time, when Daniel was in college, he would come back. And then we'd all meet up uh, in Oklahoma as kind of like the hub point of, of family gatherings and so forth. What was the family climate like at this time? Like, was there anybody like in charge? Was there... Like, were you guys like in a group chat or a text or like, what was the family climate like based on the arrest? Yeah, um, definitely text message. I mean, I text my parents almost all the time with my sister too. So we were in a family chat, but yeah, we just, a lot of communication, like what's going on. You know, at this time, since Daniel had retained an, an attorney, we were able to communicate with him and say like, what do we do? And um, for the most part, we were advised like, you know, don't say anything to the media, just like, they're going to continue on um, the investigation. And, and we were kind of just leaning on our attorney at this point. Um, like what, what do they have? And so the attorney had to get the information from the police at that time um, just to see what the charges were. So that's kind of where it all started. And it didn't just end at August, um, you know, throughout August. And then it continued. I think they were still continuing on with their investigation at this time. And that was in 2014. And then I believe, um, you know, months after that, you know, we kept on hearing like um, if there's other quote unquote victims, right. Um, that were coming forward or that they were, you know, searching out, I should say, or even coming forward because at this time they were repeatedly playing this on the news. It wasn't just that news aired on August and then we didn't hear anything about it afterwards. I mean, it was an ongoing uh, you know, obviously because of the controversial going uh, nationwide, but also Daniel's case um, in 2014 and then 2015. And then Daniel's trial happened in that following year, December of 2015. Which so it wasn't Ferguson. Half, Ferguson was, was somewhere around there, right? I'm August. sorry. Was Ferguson in that time frame? Yeah. August. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Ferguson and then Baltimore were happening in 2014. And your dad was an ex-cop, correct? Yeah, I mean, he, yes, he just what retired, was I think, like, a year or two ago. His what was his attitude on all this? Like, what was his initial thoughts at this time? Yeah, definitely shocked. You know, I'm sure at a point, I'm sure he was probably embarrassed, too, because it's like a police officer and your son's being, um, you know, questioned about an, an arrest. You know, it made it, you know, obviously it became huge Oklahoma news that even a local hometown um, paper was reporting on it. I mean, there's no way around it. Like I mentioned, my last name is, it's not common. So obviously they knew there was a connection between Daniel and then my dad. And so, um, yeah, my parents were definitely really shocked. I mean, they were um, um, just in general, I think sad, you know, um, mad that this could even happen. Um, and at this point, you know, we're still trying to learn information. Like 
did Daniel do this? Right. I mean, that was, you know, I'm sure my parents were thinking, you know, um, you know, he's innocent this whole time. You know how, like, you know, I like to go back about how sometimes family members might have those blinders on, right. About someone in their family being convicted of something that they supposedly didn't do or did do. Um, and then, you know, to, to, to decipher you know, if they're telling the truth or not. So it was kind of one of those things that uh, as a family, we always kept close contact in, in regards to, did Daniel do this, you know? And um, I would say our family is very open. Uh, we're, you know, able to discuss anything. It's not one of those things that, oh, we don't talk about that kind of thing. No, we talk about pretty much everything, you know? So um, it was definitely something that we always kept um, at the forefront. Throughout, your, throughout all of this and even still to this day you know about daniel's um about his supporting him and um and all of that so uh is your dad a retired police officer or yes he but he did go back to work again so <laughs> he's uh yeah but he he retired as a lieutenant um for the police department and he did 25 years i believe and then he did 20 years in the air force as well so um you know, he's, he's dedicated law enforcement. (laughs) So was there any doubt in the family about Daniel Daniel's innocence? I mean, at the, at at this stage, like, I know that you probably information was pretty limited. Um, you're getting Daniel's side of the story, but you're also seeing Mm -hmm. what the mainstream media was saying at the time, which was Mm -hmm. not good. I I was, Mm -hmm. I lived this. Um, Mm -hmm. I was a very fresh cop. So, you know, this case broke my heart from day one. Mm -hmm. I, I emotionally struggled with this case. Um, you know, still to this day, mm-hmm. but, um, what, 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 was there ever any doubt at the beginning stages of, of Daniel's innocence? I, I wouldn't say necessary doubt, but all we heard was, was from him. Right. So we were basing, basing, basing our, of what he's telling us at this point, but not necessarily of what the evidence was at this, at this time. Um, we didn't get a hold of the evidence. I would say i I want to say we started towards the fall of that 2014 is when we actually were able to start reviewing some of the the information that was coming to us. What was your Um, initial thoughts on that evidence? um, I didn't see anything necessarily that stood out as far as what evidence they had. I knew that they had questioned them. um, Several of the women, they had some interviews at this time. Um, but it was more of a high level. It wasn't in depth of exactly because they were still going through the preliminary questioning of them. And um, and so that's kind of just basically the police reports. So it wasn't too much that I was able to read, but enough that made me question not necessarily his innocence, but what do they have really that's going to that's going to um, uh, that convict him. Did you have any doubts or were you just like, my brother's innocent? Uh, no, I kept an empty mind, uh, empty, you know, I guess, um, what's the right word? Open. I mind. definitely was open. An open like, mind. Daniel have done this. Then, <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I, you know, I like, I like to mention this part is I feel like I'm very level headed. If I see something that is not right, I can say, Hey, look, this does not look right. Right. And kind of like one of the things I, I like to go back to is, um, throughout this finding about Daniel's case and, and, um, you know, standing by him through all of this, if there was anything that I ever thought at the, throughout this whole time going to Daniel's case that I thought that there was anything that said that Daniel was 
guilty or if there was any evidence that pointed to it. For me, honestly, it, I could, it, it would be easier for me to just to back off and say, you know what, Danielle, you deserve this. It's less stress for me <laughs> to right. not have to deal with this on a day-to-day basis because I do. I'm Daniel's voice out out here outside of the prison walls. Um, and, and for me, I would rather <laughs> back off and not do anything, but I, I can't because there's not one single piece of evidence that I have ever came across that made me think that Daniel's guilty of any, not if any of the charges that he's been accused of. And so that's kind of where my passion comes with all of this is, is just because of what I've read and had access to of, of throughout the years of the evidence, um, you know, through the case. And then I said, I flew back and went every day to Daniel's six week trial. And every day I, I heard everything that was happening. I saw how, um, you know, the news reporters that were in there didn't tweet in, in um, air in the evening news of what they just heard in the same courtroom that I did, yet alone, I'm hearing completely different evidence. I'm hearing evidence that points to Daniel's innocent, yet nothing was reported on, on it. So some of those things is very frustrating, but sorry to go on a little tangent about that, but that's kind of no, where... No, I mean, that's what we want to hear about. Like, I, I want to hear about... You know, so you're saying that you're sitting in the courtroom and you're hearing a different story than what mainstream media is tweeting mm-hmm. to the public. Exactly, exactly. And that happened through through all of the allegations. It was interesting to hear because I sat through preliminary trial. I sat through during the actual trial. And to hear the women change their stories from what I read on the police reports, I had my notes in there, that I had what they were saying during the preliminary hearing than what they were saying during trial. And their stories changed multiple times. And so to me, it was baffling to hear all of those things that were being said, yet yet nothing was being reported on on the outside in Daniel's, um, in in reference to Daniel's innocence at this point. At that time, the media strictly was Daniel's guilty. I mean, that's how they portrayed it. That's what they were wanting to say. And at this time, we didn't speak to the media, right? It was advised not to really say anything. Um, if I can take back things that I know now, I definitely would be the one that's banging on the news reporters' doors, saying, "Hey, look, you know, give me the time. I'm going to talk to you guys." Um, you know, now it's a different story. Now that Daniel's been convicted, media is kind of your friend. You know, in, the, in that sense, where you need to put that. You need to be that voice for um, yourself yeah, and, Drew, and not why, stay well, silent. True. Why is it that we? You, you become from from an admin background. Why is it that we're always told to keep completely silent, even though we, when we know that the voice being spoken on our behalf is completely wrong? Why are we always told as civilians or, you know, that when we're on the wrong side of the trauma, why are we always told to stay completely quiet? And it, it's kind of like uh, Ron DeSantis versus Trump, right? There, I've heard a lot of talk of like, why doesn't DeSantis speak up against Trump or why does he allow him to keep going? Why is it that we're o- that the, I guess the victim in this card, why are we always told the ones to be quiet? Why does the loudmouth always get to have the voice yeah. and the other guy just has to be quiet? Yeah. It's the, the recency is the, is the theory that like, it, it's the first to the microphone that says everything. And, and there's no greater example of that than you know, somebody associated with this case, a guy named Ben Crump, like he's going to get on the camera and he's going to start listing off all of the bad things that happened in this case. Like Breonna Taylor was asleep in her bed when, when police shot and killed her. Well, he doesn't have to be correct. He can be in the ballpark. He's not under oath to say anything. So he can paint the picture 
to taint the jury before the jury is even picked. And what what the attorney on the defense side, and, and I find this like, you know, this was a turning point in the country because of uh, social media, like, mm-hmm. you know, Freddie Gray and, and Trayvon Martin and, and Mike Brown and all this in and, and Daniels. This is Daniels like right in this stew of the perfect moment first when social media took firestorm and all of a sudden victims or or um i'm sorry suspects became victims and except in this case for some reason right because in this case it was a police officer therefore he must be guilty so the cops are guilty of committing crimes when they're working and they're also guilty of committing crimes like daniel you know in the media's eyes but what what essentially what we're told to be quiet is is uh, you know, to your point, Eric, is like, look no further than Daniel's interrogation. He gave a, a truthful, honest, and, and like uh, nervous laughter kind of interview that you would expect to give if you were asked these questions too. A couple of things occurred, like he pulled over a woman with a 30-year suspended license and he didn't arrest her. She smelled a little bit like alcohol and she had some pills on her. He didn't arrest her. He's thinking, you know, I don't know what he's thinking. If I were him, I would be thinking, God, what did I, I mean, where are they going with this? Like, are they going to fire me for not arresting her or what? And then out of left field, they just swing and and hit him in the jaw with all these sexual battery allegations. And then they just take it from there. So I, I think the best offense in this whole thing is to just keep quiet. I mean, you know, a police department, when they're, when they, when there's an officer involved shooting, they're not going to comment. They're not going to say a word about it because your words will be used against you. There's no greater. We just sat here and heard Jenny say that if she could go back in time, she would have been a bigger voice and she would have said some of the things that she was thinking. And I think there's got to be some kind of a fine line. I I think like we take these hard stances of we're going to be silent. So we're going to be silent. Um, and I don't think anything should be a hard stance. I think everything is kind of like a gray area. And I think at some point it's wise to stand him and stand up and fight back. I mean, if somebody would have got up and explained trace DNA to the media, this case might have turned out differently, but that story never got told. Yeah. That that was already after the fact. And and I don't want to leave you out of the conversation here, Jenny, but I I think that in, in hindsight, yeah, Mm -hmm. like in hindsight, Jenny's like, man, I just wish I would have spoke up. I, I guarantee at the time, though, the attorney, like, you don't know what you don't know when you don't know it. So I guarantee at the time, the attorney was like, no contact with the media. Let me handle this. Because it's more of a firestorm for the attorney to have to, or the, the defense team to have to handle. If you say something just a little bit untoward that the media can twist and, and put into the juror's mind or whatever. Um, so uh, where, where you're right, I do understand that we should have it like a family member. You know, th- how many people in law enforcement have an advocate like Jenny or, or, how, or, or how many people in law, um, you know, there's examples that we, you know, the Ben Darby case and the, and, uh, Matthew Mistretta just had very strong family members, a strong support system that's able to, to do that speaking for him. But, um, a lot of it is done after the fact, if you'll remember. Right. Yeah, I think it's too late, though. The damage has already been done. And I referenced the Mattingly case like Mattingly's story, although luckily for Mattingly, he was found innocent. But his story hasn't changed. I mean, you ask anybody. I mean, I talk in my distillery all the time about the Breonna Taylor case and everybody still believes that initial narrative that came out. Yeah. And, and so I, I, my question to you, Jenny, is like if you have if you were to be able to give an opinion, I mean, if you were able to give like your hindsight 
to mm-hmm. somebody else going through a situation, are you saying that, hey, somebody should get up and talk in their oh, behalf yeah. and stop letting the media just tell one story? Because I personally feel in this case, only one story was told for six years. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. For yeah. six years, nobody told the story that podcasts are just now, including ours, are just now starting to tell. Yeah, no, I mean, definitely Daniel's voice, I think you can see the tide turning because obviously after he got convicted, everyone says he deserved it, blah, blah, blah. But then, you know, it it was great because Daniel's private investigator, former private investigator, Brian Bates, he um, started a website and then I started a website. We were able to get some communication and some facts out there for people to start looking into Daniel's case. And I think that definitely helped um, get the ball going. And then obviously 20 ABC 2020 did a story. They contacted us and we were able to get Daniel's case and we were able to say our side of, of, you know, our fight for Daniel's innocence. Um, And then obviously they, um, you know, did their piece on a cover Daniel's story. And then we had Michelle Malkin that did an amazing job and uh, with multiple documentaries as far as um, covering Daniel's case. And I highly suggest if you guys get a chance to watch, um, I'm sure you guys already have, but for your viewers, um, watch Michelle Malkin, Daniel Holtzclaw, and, and then the titles Daniel in the Den. And that kind of gives you a 90-minute overview in-depth of Daniel's case. You can also watch the two-hour interrogation of Daniel's case also, of the two, two detectives um, also talking with Michelle Malkin. But it took a while to get someone to actually be brave enough, Michelle Malkin, you know, to to um, cover Danielle's story because a lot of people did not want to cover it. You know, um, it's a very touchy subject and touchy um, case um, just in general with a different well, it's definitely factors. one that you don't want to be on the wrong side of the fence on. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, right. I, uh, you no. want to get canceled. <laughs> no, not even that. It's just like I don't want to stand up for a rapist. You know, yeah. if I'm wrong, I don't want to be the guy who's like, Oh man, I you know, like a father or you know, suicide. Or yeah, yeah. You know. I, I mean, I I do think it's kind of. Uh, and first of all, forgive me, I don't remember the 2020 piece, but was it was it favorable? Would you say, or or where would you rate well, it on the scale of one to ten? They did say they did do some good points in there. Um, I would definitely say their their title of it is misleading. It said what the dash cam never saw. Daniel never had a dash cam. So there's so many myths. Thanks for bringing that up because there's so many myths out there, right? People say, well, how about his body cam? How about his dash cam? Oklahoma City Police Department did not have any of those at that time. Um, And there's so many myths out there out there in Daniel's case, which is so hard because you have these keyboard keyboard warriors that want to go out there and say what they think that they know about the case. And it just gets some, some sometimes so frustrating. Let's clear but- some of those up, Jenny. Let's clear some of those up. I've listened to almost every podcast uh-huh. um, ever made about Daniel Holt's call. Let's um, if, if we would could take some, a little bit of time, just cl- disclose some of those myths um, that I have found to be mythical. One, the first one being that he is a roid raging toxic male. Mm-hmm. You, as an experience, as his sister, and you grew uh-huh. up with him, did you ever find him to be a toxic, as he's been called on several podcasts, and a roid rager? Was did he have an anger problem? Not that. Yeah, well, yeah, no, I don't no. know how what that has to do with rape, but was he a roid raging toxic male? As many of these no. podcasts, no, I would say far from that. Um, from the very beginning, Dan always worked out. He was always in the gym. That was his dedication. He loved it. Right in and out. He, I mean, he even um, we talk about this all the time too. I think he even skipped. I think his freshman and senior prom. I think it was both of them, just because he wanted to go work out. That was his thing. 
He loved working out. Um, and obviously it paid off, you know, with him going to football for college and then, and so forth. So he, that's his passion. I mean, even in prison, he's working out every single day, you know, he, I mean, that's just what he does. Um, and I wouldn't ever say that he was ever a Roy Rager, you know, he took supplements, um, but he was never into, uh, you know, shooting up, uh, roids and, and, you know, being like this meathead quote unquote, you know, meathead jock or whatever you want to call them. But, um, well, he, he was I'm far NCAA. from it. Yeah. He was an NCAA athlete as well. I mean, yeah, he, was... he did get to go on the, um, Detroit lions. Um, um, was it the roster? The, yeah, the, the roster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah so then, he made it to the big leagues, and so he was very highly regulated and tested all through college. Well, yeah, the point being, he was exactly. tested. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, wh- how was he as a brother to you? He was great. I mean, um, we're a year apart from each other, so um, we were close. We we had the same circle of friends um, uh, or mutual friends, I would say. Um, and then. You know, we like the same music. I like to work out too. So we did a lot of things together. I was actually more closer with him than I am with my sister, um, just because we have a lot more in common. Um, but um, I've always been his advocate. I mean, even throughout um, college, I helped him, um, you know, put the stats out there for his um, football. You know, I've always been his cheerleader. We've always been close. He's always been a great little brother, but big brother in that sense that he's, you know, a lot bigger than me, but um, always close. I, I enjoyed it. I went up to Michigan while he was up there a few times to watch him play football um, with my parents. So yeah, I, I was always excited to see him, you know, come home during the holidays. I saw the Nothing I saw, like, a... you know, going back to, did you see anything growing up? Was he, you know, I, there's nothing that I, I ever saw that I ever witnessed um, that no indication feel uncomfortable or, yeah. Now, some, some of these podcasts also paint him to be a, a womanizer. I'd like to know where they got their evidence. Um, most of these podcasts that I listened to, and I said this in our previous breakdowns, they make a lot of allegations, but they don't give you any reference mm-hmm. to where they got them. Basically, internet sleuths like ourselves, mm-hmm. except we try to uh, to give kind of a perspective or a background on why we believe something. Um, where do these sleuths come up with womanizer? Did you see him as a womanizer? Was he um, any more of a pervert than I am? <laughs> no, um, don't answer that because I'm a huge fan. Let's just be real. I got five so kids. In in a in college, Daniel had two serious girlfriends. One of them actually moved from Michigan down to Oklahoma, and um, whenever he got on to the police department, and um, so he had two serious girlfriends. I, I've never heard Daniel reference as a womanizer. He was in committed relationships with both of them, not, not at the not same, same time, time. separately. Yeah. Right. separately and um and so he I've, I've always known him to have serious girlfriends and i i've heard and, and I, I'm, I'm asking you as a source what was their relationship what what is their opinion now on daniel do they did they publicly come out and say like daniel was an abuser or he had rapey tendencies i mean we know what rapey tendencies is mm-hmm. um I, i've got a close friend right now who's dating a guy and she tells me uh, their escapades, and I'm like, that seems borderline creepy. <laughs> Do they have anything like that that they've come out against Daniel saying that they that he was borderline creepy or no, he had no, some and, kind of weird kinks? We don't kink yeah. shame, but yeah. for the no, sake I mean, of even still to this day, um, they still support Daniel. And, and I like to also talk about this too because even after this had happened, I had asked both of them. Um, you know, the one that uh, he was currently living with and then the other one that he was with while he was in Michigan uh, for college. Um, Because the girlfriend that he was with, um, 
when all of this had happened, um, you know, I asked both of them, is there anything that you guys ever saw, you know, cause when you're, when you're in a relationship, right, you have these red, you don't see these red flags, but once you get out of the relationship, you're like, okay, I saw the, I, you know, I see those red flags now. And still to this day, they still ha- do not see anything, um, that ever made them think that Daniel was guilty of anything. Um, and I even asked them my personal questions. Did you see him when he got home? Did he jump in the shower? Was he acting weird? Did you see anything on his phone or was there anything suspicious about him? Did he, was he controlling? Like, how was he? And they had nothing bad to say about him. So uh, I don't have any data to back this up, but you know, it's just, uh, like from the sociological standpoint, Mm -hmm. just what I've experienced in life. Uh, there are two classes of people that are, you you know, when you got a cop's kid or a preacher's kid, Mm -hmm. either are like 90 degrees off this way or 90 degrees off this way. You seem that, um, you know, you and and Daniel and your, and your other sister, it seems like you're just from a wholesome family. Everybody is, you know, you're, you're all seemingly on the same path. I mean, was there any, maybe not sexual deviance, but was there any like trouble growing up? Did he always want to be a cop or did, uh, you know, was there like, uh, was he a truant? Did he drink too early, you know, as a 14 year old kid or. No, no, I would say he's like a, a normal teen. I think, I, I think all of us, we, we turned out really good. We were normal teenagers, you know, just, um, you know, we went off to college, um, you know, started our careers, all three of us um, as far as, uh, anything that, no, we were close. I mean, our dinner time was at five 30 for the most, most time, unless my dad was working night shift, we all ate at the same dinner table growing up, you know? And then obviously when we started working, when we were teenagers, we didn't see each other as much, but we still were close family and That's still awesome. are to this day. And so, yeah, there's nothing that um, ever uh, indicated to any of us that Daniel, that there was any troubling situation you know, with him growing up, even throughout his college years. Um, yeah, nothing that would have ever pointed to, you know, us being suspicious of his behavior. So this is why I say in the beginning that uh, of the toll that people don't realize that is, this puts on an entire family. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you have a 25-year, first of all, you have a, a, an Air Force veteran who retired from the military, and then he did 25 years of service to his community mm-hmm. uh, as a cop. And then, you know, you have a mother that raised children that demanded your, you sit at the dinner table all together mm-hmm. at 530, three, you know, wonderful kids. And then you get this allegation of mm-hmm. like probably the worst, you know, is somebody in a position of authority that has the ability to arrest somebody and commit sexual batteries. Then all of a sudden they start piling on all these charges. Mm-hmm. Did that take a toll like on the family dynamic or did that bond you even closer? Um, I would definitely say throughout all of this, it has definitely brought us a lot closer. Um, you know, we, we don't take our time for granted in that sense that we never knew that in 2014, our lives would forever change. And us not knowing that if we're going to have another Christmas with Daniel outside of prison um, or, or any of those holidays, um, you know, that we used to always spend together. So, you know, as a full family, so it is very, um, the toll is definitely an interesting thing just because it has been very, stressful is it has been very emotional um you know there's it's definitely been a roller coaster of a ride you know to say um throughout all of this and and you definitely have to have a thick skin because you know there's people that will write you the meanest things but it's like come on i don't even know who you are i'll never see you again 
And if you are ignorant enough to write me a, a message about Daniel's case, and not learn the facts and that, that that's on you. You know, I'm not here to, to change anyone's opinion. I'm here to tell people to, to look into Daniel's case, do your research yourself. Don't just get spoon fed from what the media is saying, actually learn a little bit more about the case and give me reasons, ask me questions because that's what I want people to do. I want people to reach out. Um, you know, I, I try to get back to the, as many messages as I, as I can to people and let them know, you know, if they have any questions about Daniel's case or how he's doing or whatever the case may be, I'm here to like tell people like here and I'll send them links, please watch this or listen to Daniel's podcast. You know, there's, there's so much of, uh, online that, that is in favor of Daniel, that is saying the truth. And, you know, we have documents to prove everything that we're speaking on. It's not that we don't have anything and just say, oh, Daniel's innocence, innocent. We have facts that prove that Daniel's innocent, you know, and we have, you know, um, evidence to prove that, you know, it is just a matter of now because Daniel is convicted to overturn a wrongful conviction is so hard. So that's, that's, I guess the next question. I, I know that there, there are issues with, I guess the prosecutor, the judge has found himself in hot water from mm -hmm. that case specifically. I mean, you know, we, we are talking about nine years, so life mm -hmm. does change for a lot of people. But nine mm -hmm. years, um, you, you know, Daniel's been sitting there in prison, an innocent man in, mm -hmm. in a lot of people's eyes. And, and, you know, so where are we from the standpoint of uh, overturning the conviction, getting a new trial or something along that way? Yeah. So currently right now, um, our attorney is working on uh, Daniel's post-conviction, um, you know, presenting new evidence. So, um, you know, we're, we're working on that, gathering the evidence. And some of the evidence that we're using is the things that we came out from uh, Daniel's deposition, right? From the accusers that went on stand and admitted later on that Daniel never touched them or so forth. Um, so we're able to include that. So we're just working on that currently right now. And um, you know, it takes a while to get to get all of that, um, you know, put together, but we're currently still we're, we're still fighting for him. You know, we're still working on getting Daniel's story told, um, you know, that right now there is a new district attorney um, that took over after um, DA, uh, district uh, David Prater that was in office and he was in office. Gosh, I don't even know how many years we finally have fresh eyes um, you know, hopefully um, with the Oklahoma County justice system that wants to hopefully, um, you know, look at cases. And, and luckily for her, she's been um, on the Oklahoma Innocence Project. So she knows about um, wrongful conviction cases and her son was actually pardoned by Trump. And um, so she knows both. Cause she, and, and another cool thing about her, too, is she's actually uh, prosecuted Timothy McVeigh, which was the Oklahoma City bombing. So she has a background of both on both sides, right? Uh, uh, an attorney that fights for people that have been wrongfully convicted and then prosecutor um, that actually tried cases too. So she's been um, a, a, a well-rounded, I think, candidate. And then luckily she's in office now. So um, hopefully, you know, she'll look into Daniel's case. Um, and then also Daniel's judge in that case, um, Timothy Henderson, he actually is on hot waters in the sense that he um, is being investigated right now. The Oklahoma, Oklahoma Bar Association is right now reviewing um, because he's been caught having um, sexual relationships with uh, assistant district attorneys. Um, and this also is during the time of Daniel's case. But unfortunately, we have not been able to find any evidence yet that points to um, 
that judge having anything with Daniel's prosecutor, but it has overturned two cases so far in Oklahoma because he was having sexual relationships with those prosecutors that were trying the case. But it does fall in line with the 2017, the two-day secret hearing that was on Daniel's case that, that um, uh, where Daniel's attorney was not present during the two-day trial, two-day court hearing. And so um, we're hoping that maybe the Oklahoma Court of Criminal Appeals may look at that and say, well, you know, the judge had some kind of um, favor to the assistant DA's office, right? Because he was having sexual relationships with them. So we'll see what avenue we so can do. I mean, the biggest pervert in this case happens to be the judge. Yeah. So, sounds about right. Sounds there's a lot of about right. in now, this case. There is. There's so many. Listen, I, I, I'm not going to get into it, but I, uh, you can go back to the other three episodes that are about two hours each almost um, on this case. Uh, I, I've always been very connected to this case in weird ways. Um, one, I, my mother-in-law is in town. I just had a baby yesterday. That's why we're pre-recording this. Um, and it's not going out live. Um, Congratulations. Typically, thank you. But I had my fifth baby, uh, one wife, five babies. And um, and so uh, I, my mother-in-law is in town. And I just said, I'm, I'm going to do a podcast with Jenny Holtzclaw. She's like, who's that? You know, I said, Daniel Holtzclaw's sister. She's like, who's Daniel Holtzclaw? And I said, well, I don't have time to explain it to you. I have like six minutes before I have to be there. Let me just show you his guilty, them reading the guilty plea. And of course, you see Daniel just crying and and i said this is what started all of it and mm -hmm. she was like well was he guilty or innocent and i was like i'll tell you after my show I'll let you listen to it but um i say that to say that you know i truly believe after digging through all of this evidence that i have an opinion on daniel oldsclaw and i'd like to ask you before i give you my opinion is you're the sister and you've you've been able to talk to his ex-girlfriends mm -hmm. you've talked to the defense attorney You've talked to the prosecutor. You've talked not to everybody. The prosecutor. What's that? I've not talked to the prosecutor. Oh, you've never talked to the prosecutor? Mm -mm. Oh. They never once questioned anyone in our family, which I feel like is very odd. What did they want to yeah, ask? If what? They... Why would it? Did the defense not call you guys up? No. No, actually, Why? no one got called up for Daniel's. Um... Not even as a character witness or anything? Mm-mm. That doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem legit. I don't know much about being a lawyer. I've sat through a lot of cases, but as a juror, it would mean a lot to have the sister get up there and say that, like, my brother never had any. It would, it would as a as a juror to see ex girlfriends mm -hmm. support mm -hmm. their former boyfriend and say that they didn't have any rapey vibes from him. Mm -hmm. I, it would paint a huge picture for me as a juror. Mm -hmm. Do you guys ever question that? Yeah, it, looking back, I think that was his strategy. So we went with it. Um, if we were to change anything now, I would definitely have been more vocal and say, "No, put me on the stand." Yeah, I but I love to. that how they say that that's the 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 attorneys. Um, and listen, I, I'm not a victim of of anything that Daniel Holtzclaw has, but I'm a victim of listening to an attorney that just absolutely fucking screwed the pooch. Um, why? I, I think it's not the strategy of your or of Daniel's defense attorney. It seems like it's the strategy of every defense attorney across the board. Like, I feel like they've drawn a hard line in the sand and say, this is the way we're going to do things. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's going to work and sometimes it's not. And that's just the way we're going to do things. Does yeah. it frustrate you at all? Well, I definitely just because I feel like the reason why they do that is because prosecutors will try to 
you know, possibly, you know, put someone on stand and make it seem something that it's not like have someone answer something that might not be. Sure. But you don't um, think that the defense attorney saw that this was not going his way and he should maybe. Well, you know, sitting in, sitting in the trial that you would, you would have, I wish it was recorded. I wish it was live. Right, live stream right. like other cases. Is it, did it are. seem like it was favorable in Daniel's court? Yes, we like, were... I can totally see that. I, I can totally see this happening. That you're sitting there because it just based on we Daniel. Were confident. Yeah, yeah. This was. I, I can. The the only way I can describe this is from the interrogation on. It's just the twilight zone. Like things just like this can't be happening. This is an alternate reality. There's no way that this can be happening. And I can only imagine when you're sitting in that courtroom, hearing the testimony, hearing witnesses say, no, I've never seen this guy in my entire life. Well, you're on the stand as somebody that he sexually battered or sexually assaulted or whatever. I mean, you would think that the jury would be like, yeah, this is, this is a load of bullshit. Like, what are we yeah. doing here? Why are we away from our families? Is that the impression you got while you were in the, the courtroom? Yeah, absolutely. We were certain that Dan was not going to get convicted. I mean, when that when we went to, to when the jurors went off to deliberation, we said, there's no way. What evidence do they have? Like, we were all confident that Dan was not going to get um, a guilty verdict. Um, it wasn't until I would say that the jurors came out from deliberation and seeing the, their reaction um, and how they were sitting and, and um, some started crying, had tears in their eyes. Um, I definitely would say that um, we definitely did not see it coming. You and know, this and was all was based on the vaginal DNA, which was touch DNA that was never really explained to the jury. Um, mm-hmm. and, and have you spoken with the jurors any of the jurors since then, have they reached out to you, to your family? No, they haven't reached out to me. Um, I, I wish that they would, I, just so we can learn a little bit more. But, um, you know, they're very quiet. But there are a few of them, like, right? Some of them spoke to 2020. Some of them spoke to Crime Have Watch you Daily. reached out to them? Huh? Have you reached out to them? Um, I have reached out to one, <laughs> um, in hopes that, um, you know, that person would be inclined to possibly learning a little bit more about the case. Um, but, um, I haven't heard a response. You know, I, mean, I, 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 I want to admit, I, I want to say, uh, Jenny, this is what I find most admirable about this whole thing. Like, mm-hmm. um, as is the climate in today's world, you need drama or you need um, sensational headlines or whatever. You need to sell a story. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's what the media did in this case. And, and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, they don't even want to listen to Michelle Malkin because she comes from a conservative background or she Mm -hmm. has conservative opinions. Therefore her opinion is not as strong as anybody else's because that's what the media does. Mm -hmm. But you and your family and the defense and the, the, and uh, Mr. Bates and everybody else, Mm -hmm seems to just say i'm i I don't need to say anything else other than the truth Mm -hmm. so it's not like you're going out and and um you know creating a three-ring circus or Mm -hmm. pulling in this juror and making with an aha moment like i knew it i knew you you're just basically letting all of the facts speak for themselves Mm -hmm. to me is even more solid ground than anybody could ever imagine and that's probably you know i would hope that's what Daniel runs on on that hope that mm-hmm. look, truth is eventually going to come out if we just keep telling the truth. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly, and that's what we've been doing is just you know taking the opportunity, you know, like 
me coming on here, for example. It's a way for me to get Daniel's story told, hopefully to your to your viewers, and then they're interested and want to learn a little bit more about Daniel's case. And um, you know, a lot of podcasts take on a case, and and it gets more um, coverage, right? And so, um, you know, throughout this whole time, I've been reaching out to anyone that will listen to Daniel's me telling um, Daniel's story to them, and hoping that they'll open the doors or want to cover Daniel's story, or or um, so it's, it, it is more in Daniel's favor. I'm getting more doors opening nowadays than I have, you know, when this first um, had to happen, you know, back in 2014, 2015. Um, so there's definitely a lot more avenues now. And, you know, social media can be your friend too. I post a lot on my Facebook and free Daniel Holtzclaw. And then underneath mine, Jenny Holtzclaw, I put a lot of facts out there. That's all you can do, right? Is just put things out there. If people want to learn more, they'll learn more. Um, and so that's kind of where, uh, I'm, I've taken this is just until, you know, I, I would like for Daniel's case to be covered in Netflix, you know, but um, we haven't had much luck of, of reaching out to, to someone with Netflix. It's actually very hard to get a hold of. Um, but, you know, there's other um, avenues out there. I'm hoping that we do get a little more coverage and people do want to take that stance and not be scared of covering Daniel's case because, quote unquote, uh, he might be a rapist or um, uh, you know, it's controversial just because the whole Me Too, Black Lives Matter, people that hate cops. You know, there's so many different um, uh, touchies cases, yeah, right? With it's the scenarios with Daniel's case that people yes. don't want to touch it. It really is the perfect storm, and there's nothing more depressing to me than this case. And uh, but you know what's exciting is that Ghostbed. It's offering 40% off right now on GhostBeds at GhostBeds.com forward slash Wolfpack. Veterans Day is right around the corner, and you know GhostBed throws down for veterans and first responders all across the country because their bed's made in the good old USA, USA. And uh, they absolutely love first responders. They absolutely love veterans, and they absolutely throw the biggest banger sales. I'm in contact with the owners of Ghostbed, with the, guy, with the head dudes of Ghostbed, I'm in contact with them all the time. And I can tell you there's nobody that's a bigger advocate than the guys over at Ghostbed because they truly believe that a first responder or a combat veteran or a guy that's in the thick of it, they know that they are going to be more protected if those veterans and first responders are having good night's rests. And so that they make every one of these beds saying, dude, the guy that saves my life, the, the hero in the dark? <laughs> I want them to be like fully rested and fully ready to go. So every bed is made that way. I don't know. I just made that part up, but I imagine that that's why they're made. <laughs> right now, GhostBed is offering 40% off cross board. Get that adjustable base. Get the uh, massage mode, the zero gravity mode. They've got uh, 0% down, 0% 0% financing. Um, and that's if you have uh, firefighter credit, uh, state trooper credit. Uh, yeah. You can get one of these beds. Head over to GhostBed.com forward slash Wolfpack today and get you sleep so good it's absolutely scary uh jenny coming back to the case sorry i have to do ad reads and i have to make them salacious and entertaining because that's what keeps us in business and we'll mm -hmm. tell these stories uh, i have a question for you and i've been maybe wanting to ask you this question since the mid-2000s even though i didn't know you it is a question i've always wanted to ask jenny what percent of a chance is he guilty in your head, with all the evidence you've seen, what percent of a chance is he guilty? From everything that I have read, viewed, listened to, everything looking at this case, I can 100% say confidently that I believe that there's 0% chance that Daniel's guilty. 
I 100% believe that Daniel's innocent and I will continue to fight for Daniel because there's not one piece of evidence that points to Daniel's um, guilt of, of, of it. So there's definitely, I mean, I'm, I'm Daniel's advocate. I'm going to be fighting for him till he's free. Wow. That's incredible. I have no doubt that he will be free. I do. I have faith that he will be free. I mean, it's just a matter of time. And unfortunately to overturn wrongful convictions usually is between 11 and 14 years. And that's an, that's on average, right? It just really depends because there's so many different avenues that you go through um, to, you know, post conviction and all these appeals that you have to. And then obviously at the state levels where it starts, but there's people in Oklahoma, the court of criminal appeals, they don't believe, right. That, that the state could have um, convicted a police officer or, or anyone for that matter. Um, it's um, Oklahoma. Um, there, there have been convictions that have been um, overturned and there have been people that have been found innocent um, because the Oklahoma city crime lab, there was uh, you guys can just Google um, black magic. Um, the former um, forensic That's analyst. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She um, fabricated evidence saying that rug hair was pubic hair um, on mm. cases. So um, Oklahoma City Police Department has a history of corruption, if you go back, you know, and and, and let me bring this up, too, because I just mentioned the former um, analyst, um, Black Magic. So um, Daniels, you know, the two detectives, right? There was a male and female, the male Rocky Gregory, Detective Rocky Gregory. His mother-in-law was the forensic analyst in Daniel's case. Never, never once disclosed during the trial, was it? Never once. It was not until. Have you after- met these detectives? Have you met these detectives? We're pro detectives. We're pro law enforcement. But I got to be honest with you. After watching these two detectives, I might hate them more than almost anybody else in law enforcement, aside from Danny Perkins. It's mind-boggling. If you guys go to YouTube and look up the Michelle Malkin two-hour detective interview. Oh my gosh! How what a bunch of clout chasing! Well, uh, it's I, the worst display of investigation that I've ever seen in a lot of these cases. We've covered some really screwed up cases, yeah, and I talked with some great detectives. That was the most. That was the weakest display of investigating that I've seen was, in almost all of these cases. We, and, and you know, like I, I, there are they probably have great abilities. I you know I don't doubt that part. There are just a lo- there was a lot of hunches they were running on in that initial interview and the and the bluffing about calling the girlfriend whether they called her or not and then mm-hmm. they just went down this rabbit hole like the, the investigative tunnel vision of well now he's lying about having sex with his girlfriend but mm-hmm. that, that was that's not even really germane to the conversation like so they're oh we caught him in a lie so i i wonder at what point did they lose control of this? In other words, did it get up to a lieutenant? Did it get up to a captain or a, a deputy chief or a chief that says, okay, I'll pull out all stops. We're going to get this guy convicted. I mean, this, uh, this to me look like a political head hunt. This, this to me is, is the stereotypical thing that I've preached about forever on this show. Mm-hmm. I, I, I feel it in my bones and I'd love to get these guys on the show and I'd love to talk to them about it if it's not true, but it absolutely looked like the exact the, the climbing of the political ladder. This is the case. This is the case that's going to get me to where I need to go. This is going to get me to the next level. He's got to be guilty. If I find this cop guilty, if I prove that this cop is guilty, huh, I'll be the chief. You know what I mean? That's what this appeared to me yeah. to be. Well, Detective Kim Davis, that was her big case. She wanted, she was, she retired right after Daniels. After yeah, that Daniels. was it. Yeah, that's her she, thing, you know? And she, and was like, she wanted that like big case right before she left. 
same thing Rocky Gregory. He got promoted to do homicides right after he after the case. Of course, he did. Of course you know, he did. Both of them went off to do conferences and uh, speak to to. Um, of course they did. You know, I mean, there was benefits for them to do this. You know, and then obviously political po- po- political police officers poisoning the profession. I've said it a thousand mm-hmm. times. Um, it's absolutely and, disgusting. And what about Lieutenant Munsey? I mean, like he was. He, yeah. He, he, we don't know exactly why he yeah exactly we don't know why he ended up uh, not on the police department he um resigned i, I believe he resigned but even he, he was something that questioned about just because um you know he he had that profile that he wanted the detectives to go off of and just question black females why yeah. would you only just question one race well but daniel uh, is a serial rapist wouldn't yeah. you ask and go through all his records? Don't you care about other races? <laughs> no, we don't right. care about the whites or right. the Asians. You know that. There's male DNA on there. You know, it, it, he, he has one of the more poignant quotes of a deposition. He, he says, no, you, you can get an expert to tell you whatever you want. He was talking about DNA. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, that doesn't work <laughs> against the defense. You know what I mean? Like he's trying to say... It, look, defense attorney, don't try to don't try to throw your weight around with me. You can mm-hmm. get an expert to say whatever you want. Well, what do you think the prosecution does? They, they mm-hmm. do the exact same thing. And and listen, I, I'm I'm a multi decades cop. I am like as Eric said, pro law enforcement, pro prosecution, mm-hmm. guilty pe- people. But I'll tell you, using force, using deadly force against somebody kills them right then and there. And that officer is going to have to question for the rest of their lives mm-hmm. whether they made the right decision or not. If you put someone in prison for 284 or 286 years, you have done more damage than mm-hmm. just taking their life because they are now left to flounder in jail. I get that they're alive. I understand that. But Daniel is in a personal hell that mm-hmm. he knows he's innocent. His family knows he's innocent, which is completely different that, you know, people in society have forgotten. This is not a guilty or innocent case. It's or a guilty or not guilty case. Mm -hmm. This is he is innocent. He Mm -hmm. is not not. There's no guilt associated with him, as you're saying. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I still say it's it's um, not complimentary. It's it's um, it's telling that your family is like, look. You all can believe what you want to believe. Mm-hmm. This did not happen. Now, how many adults do you know, other than you and your family and myself and Eric and Michelle Malkin, that are going to put a personal reputation, Bates, that are going to put a personal mm-hmm. reputation on gambling on whether this guy raped people or not? Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's the math is just not there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you... Exactly. You dive into each of the case, right? Each of the allegations, you will then want to fight for Daniel because you'll see there's no evidence that points to it. And obviously we've dissected each of the cases, you know, same thing as the former investigator, Brian, Brian Bates, you know, he's investigated each of them. Same thing, Michelle Malkin, she looked in Daniel's, all of Daniel's cases, you know, that's why we are, a lot of people are, are very strong about Daniel's innocence is because we have reviewed everything. There's nothing that points to him being guilty, you know, so that that's where the passion comes from is because there isn't anything. If you break it down, not what the media says and what Wikipedia says about Daniel. Oh, yeah. Or any, a lot of these podcasts that they come out with. Now, let me ask you one last question and then I'm done for the night. Um, 
Um, Drew probably has a couple of questions, but um, my last question of the night is how is Daniel doing? Uh, I don't imagine it's easy being a cop in jail, mm-hmm. in prison. Um, how is he doing? How is he holding up? How does he get by to his day to day? He's doing good. I mean, for the most part, you know, he's on a routine. He wakes up, has his breakfast. Um, he goes and works out. That's his, like, he must get his workout in. Um, you know, he'll play cards. He does talk with other inmates. You know, it's not, um, you know, obviously he's on guard 24-7 just because of, you know, a lot of a lot of them do know that he, I would say all of them know that he's a police officer because they have played 2020 in prison. They have played other yeah. um, shows that have covered Daniel's case. And then just yard talk, right? A lot of people right. find out why you're in there and who you really are. Even though he is underneath an alias name, um, people know who he is. So um, that's not anything that's hidden within there. Um, but for the most part, I mean, he knows, you know, we communicate with him. We let him know what's happening. You know, I let him know that we're on the podcast. That gives him a lot of hope, right? Because it's another avenue of Danielle's story being told. Um, You know, we were doing Facebook lives where he was able to call in and and do that. And that's kind of been put on hold because uh, that's another whole situation with the um, Department of Corrections, you know, um, doesn't want the, the story being out there or Daniel being able to have a voice inside prison walls. Um, but um, as far as, you know, everything else with Daniel, I mean, he's he, he gets letters from supporters. He knows people are, you know, are always wondering how he's doing, sending him birthday cards, Christmas cards. Um, and that kind of keeps it, his momentum going. But I think overall, you know, true, like what you had mentioned um, with knowing that he has family out here and knowing that the case is going to get overturned. He has faith in that, you know, and, and, and all he has is his truth, right? He knows the truth. We're out here fighting for him. So, you know, hopefully all stars aligned and, and Daniel's case can get another, um, uh, get overturned and we can get a new trial. We're not asking for Daniel to get free. We're asking for us to have a new trial. There's a lot more, that we know as a family, but also the attorneys, a lot of things were not discovered till after trial. So there's a lot more that we are going to come in uh, into a new trial and be able to, um, and obviously speak to the media this time and, um, and, and be able to get Daniel's story told. I mean, continue getting Daniel's story told, I should say. Yeah. I, I believe that that's also very telling also uh, just, you know, the fact that it's this isn't about like let's exonerate him and let's get him free and let's never free. it's let's put it before the court again mm-hmm. um, and and you know I, I know that um I, you know I, I like I can't even compare uh, what's happening here but I, but I ran into a bump in the road in my career and uh, there came a point where you know I persevered through it and everybody was just kind kind of like hey you're gonna go after them or you're gonna do this or you're gonna do that and it's always it was always kind of like no, because I just wanted to get it behind me. I just wanted mm-hmm. to move on. I can see, though, with some of this being like uh, prosecutorial misconduct, p- potentially, or mm-hmm. these uh, detectives, you know, fabricating stuff. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Uh, and who knows what the trial court will, will hear again? I mean, mm-hmm. is there any uh, are, are we just like we'll cross that bridge when we come to it? Or is there like <laughs> just a, a, a venom that's building up? Um, that got him in that position in the first place. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would definitely say that, for example, um, one thing that I, w- I want to do is make make it clear to people that 
the prosecutor prosecutor shouldn't be able to just to say state something at the end um, of their closing statement that's false information, right? Um, as you guys, I know that you guys cover that on one of your guys' podcasts on on Daniel was how the prosecutor said in his closing statement um, that uh, there was vaginal cells, um, you know, on Daniel's pants, which that's false, right? And that's the last thing the jurors heard before they went to, de- to deliberation. People need to be held accountable. The detectives, they need to be held accountable. Why do they Why do they miswrite a lot of their police reports and not state multiple times that the woman denied seven times that Daniel ever touched her? But then mm-hmm. that was never once written in the police report. There's a, and why were recordings not being recorded? 35, yeah, you know, 35 potential quote victim end quote that said that they had no contact with Daniel whatsoever. 35 of them, there was no recording whatsoever. It exactly. Was not, and, not and there's no list. They, they got, we, we brought it up in trial. Where's this list of all these people that you guys questioned? They couldn't produce that. So where's that, you know, we're taking yeah. your word for it. So there's a lot of things that I think um, that definitely need to be held accountable when it comes to Daniel being in prison. Um, I, I'm, I'm convinced, uh, and I'm convicted to uh, to help you in any way that I can. I mean, I, I'm a small voice, but uh, we can be a, a big voice, uh, you know, synergistically. Hopefully, we can uh, get this word f- spread further out there. I mean, you know, he was convicted in what 2015 or 2016, but uh, and it's 2023. But th- th- listen, like she said, convictions take a while, or overturning convictions takes even longer. Um, so there's no there's no give up in this situation. I mean, he's, you know, to use a football metaphor, he, he, uh, he blocked the punt and they're on the, the one or two yard line. He's, he's getting ready to run it all the way back. I hope, uh, but you can't give up until the clock reads zero. And, uh, I, I certainly wish you and your family the best. Thank you. Uh, if there's anything that we can do, obviously as a wolf pack, uh, where can we go to maybe, you know, either donate or, um, follow or, you know, plug yeah. your, your socials. Yeah. So, um, I, I would highly suggest going to holtzclawtrial.com. You can go to my Facebook, Jenny Holtzclaw. Um, and then I'll, I can post, um, on there later after we get off of here, um, the, the, um, link to the fundraiser that we have to continue fighting the legal route, um, to get Daniel's case overturned. Um, and then you can go to, uh, as well to learn a little bit more about Daniel's case. There's a lot of, uh, videos on there and links and, um, even as transcripts and then, um, his appeal that we've done so far. Wolfpack, we are the number one growing channel where law enforcement, uh, goes to be entertained and informed right now, cruising in at number 11 on the trending charts on chartable for podcasts across the United States. Uh, it costs a lot of money to get to that point. You've seen in the last three months that we have grown as a channel exponentially, uh, with new cameras, new lights, um, new microphones for all the hosts. We are looking good and great. And we're absolutely have the addition of two new shows coming onto the network in the next couple of months. If you'd like to support the first stop podcast you can be a member of our patreon where we deliver all sorts of extra content follow-on interviews we might even bring on another follow-on follow-on interview with uh jenny holtzkull if there are things that develop in this case that maybe not take the time of a complete podcast but maybe we jump on there for 30 minutes uh but we have many of the members across the board all six hosts are putting lots of content on our patreon that is completely extra Uh, we do five almost well we're moving to six free shows a week um, and so you get six free shows a week on YouTube and Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, and everywhere else. 
And so if you want a little bit extra that we go the extra mile for, you can follow us on Patreon, failuretostop.com. Um, is also our website where you can uh, go and be a member there. We do have a lot of other things coming. I did mention that we have one, potentially two new shows coming to the network, Fire to Stop Network, All First Responders, and there'll be more to come on that. As for myself and the easy, the breezy, the steezy, beautiful Dre Breezy, and Miss Jennifer Holdsclaw, our thoughts and prayers go out to Daniel, of course, and uh, we appreciate all the time that you have given us um, and I'm sure Daniel appreciates all the time that you've given him. Thank you so much, Jenny, for joining yeah, us. Thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. And I hope you guys all look, tune into Daniel's uh, case and, and learn more. All thank right, you, guys. everyone. Until next time, guns up. Giddy up. Bye-bye.